other words, you're welcome into a like organized way of doing things. That's immediately not okay. Um, they need to go and like fight things, break a few things around, throw it around, and then create the, the chaos in order for them to then be able to function. So once you learn this is how this person needs to be, that's how you can develop a, a method of, uh, of uh, working with them. But you've got to identify, is this a chaos guy or is this a, a law and order guy? Um, you know? I think it depends on the day of the week for me. Sometimes chaos. Day of the week, maybe the coffee intake, maybe culture, who knows? It could be lots of things. Anyway, um, welcome everybody <laughs> to Brain Food Live on air. Um, bringing it to you every week as usual. We're actually doing this on Wednesday, um, not Friday. Um, and unscheduled, rather disastrously, I'm doing this from Heathrow Airport. Um, whereas, in fact, I should be in Bogota already. Um, uh, but flight disaster, etc., means a 24-hour postponement. Hence, um, I've had to come and do it here in the private lounge, which is okay, but it's, you know, people are in here. So at any moment, this may go disastrously wrong. If so, um, I can um, blame Avianca, uh, the, the Colombian airline. Um, anyway, quick sound check, everybody. Make sure everyone can hear me okay. Um, if you can see me in uh, Crowdcast, let me know in the chat whether everything is okay. Um, audio visual looks fine, even though I'm a little bit blurry, I think I should be okay. I do believe I'm launching this in LinkedIn as well. So if you can see me on LinkedIn, do let me know whether you can see me. Okay. Um, give me a comment, thumbs up, thumbs down, stuff like that. Okay, great. Looks like people can see and hear me. Thank you very much, everyone. That's all good and live. Um, cool. And um, I've been talking away, but we haven't introduced our, our co-host today. Um, the one and only. Uh, Jonathan Romley. So, Jonathan, wonderful to see you. Um, I wonder whether it actually might be a good time for you to quickly introduce yourself. Who are you? What it is you do? Maybe say a few things about Lundy as well. Sure. So, hey, everyone. I'm I'm Jonathan. I'm the co-founder of a, a company called Lundy. And if you're hiring in a part of the world where you don't live and you don't know a lot about, well, we are we're going to be your best friends. We're going to be your best friends because uh, we are both in your part of the world and in the part of the world where you're trying to hire. So that's that can be pretty helpful. And if you don't know where you want to hire and you're really stuck, we can even help you figure that out. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about what we do. More than this, I mean, we actually get this question in the online community a lot where people pop in and say, hey, listen, I need a recruitment supplier in Tanzania. I have no clue how to recruit in Tanzania. Have you got anybody? Obviously, no one has any clue. So that's a dead end straight away. But I always say to them, hey, listen, check out Lundy. This is what they've set up to do. So, folks, if you didn't know um, and you, you need to basically recruit in a territory that you have no experience of doing and you've got actually no on the ground resource to recruit those local staff, then you want to be partnering with local suppliers, recruitment suppliers that can help you. And what Lundy is, is basically an agency marketplace internationally for that purpose. Um, so why don't you share the, the link to the... Um, the website to the chat there, Jonathan. I'm sure people will want to check it out. Just bookmark this, folks. You don't need to dive in and go go crazy. But there is going to be a point in time when suddenly you get a requirement. Oh, we need to hire someone in the Philippines or something. Um, well, you're not going to know how to do that. Um, but there are recruiters on in the Philippines that run recruitment businesses 
on Lundy and Lundy will connect you to them. Simple as that. Um, so I think a super useful product and a lot of people, uh, it basically it solves, it solves a problem that we don't often have, but when we do have it, we like, we're wondering around how to solve it. So, um, this is definitely something you need to, uh, you need to check out. Okay. Jonathan, um, let's do this real quick. We always review the newsletter. I know you haven't read it. Um, uh, never in my life. Yeah, I'm read, Have you? Obviously not. Um, so we're not able to talk about the newsletter. Um, of course we're able to talk about the newsletter. <laughs> okay. Give me, give me a few things that you read last week on the newsletter that you thought were quite interesting. And the, first one, the first one that, that I thought was interesting, uh, was a Google sheet of, of AI tools for recruiters. I, I didn't know about all of, all of these tools. I also saw that a couple that we use uh, were not there, and I feel like they're so special that I shouldn't even share them, but I, but I will. Um, there's there's a tool called Clay.com that that we're using in Lundy, and uh, and that's something that we use to identify companies that are maybe posting jobs in places where they don't have employees, uh, you know, in places where they don't have recruiters and and reaching out, but. It's uh, pretty similar to kind of a mix of Airtable and Zapier, uh, allowing you to kind of do step-by-step -step everything in one place. So I think there are a lot of, you know, anywhere where there's like a business development outreach case, there's most definitely a recruitment outreach case. And so, yeah, I was surprised not to see that uh, there, but some tools I didn't know existed. That was, that was cool. There's so many products that just are adding AI on top of, you know, whatever. It's like the milk in your cereal now, uh, you know, now with extra sugar. You know what? That's a great way of putting it. It's exactly what it is. It is, is literally becoming a mandatory thing. And the, the wonderful thing is we're seeing a, like a, a massive explosion of, of technologies that really can be very simply put together. So anyway, I've just shared that spreadsheet into the chat. Just go and check it out. Um, I've actually asked Allah who created it, uh, to open it up so basically you can actually add stuff to this so if you have a tool you think is quite interesting it isn't doesn't belong there go add to it um and then let's create a decent resource for all of us to share um obviously behave with the, the spreadsheet because it is an open spreadsheet don't go and delete it or anything stupid like that um pay just just be respectful of the, the work people put in uh but add stuff in um i know I, is it clay.ai's thing clay.com yeah there there we go um yeah cool um okay jonathan give us a give us another thing that you read that was interesting how to share there was a post on linkedin by i think you mentioned that they were a former colleague uh is it james mays or mine james james yes that's right uh, how to share negative feedback and i thought it was really interesting that that the investor in this case it was an investor that was sharing negative feedback um asked if james was ready to receive negative feedback. I don't, I don't think that I, I don't think I've asked somebody if they're ready to receive negative feedback before. I think often we're reactive. Uh, maybe when we give negative feedback, not every time, but sometimes like, oh, this is really bothering me. And I should share this feedback. Uh, irrespective of the other party, like what, what is going on with them right now. Yeah. So I thought that 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 was really 
Uh, I mean, that really showed empathy from the person that was about to drop a bomb. Yeah, And smart, and smart, man, because I am reluctant to share feedback because I've not used this technique um, and I've, I've bust out with it, basically. Um, and inevitably, that, that people feel that as an attack. Um, uh, you know, if I just said, Jonathan, that really did this, this, and this, I, I personally think I'm just being straight with Jonathan, being direct. But because I've not prepared you mentally to receive this, you just get something thrown at you and immediately you might defensive and I don't listen. I don't hear you. Yeah. You might just like come, come straight back at me. And before you know it, you're in this really negative feedback loop. But anyway, James had this experience. If people don't know, James, ex colleague of mine, um, if you're watching this, James, hello. Um, but he's launching a new product. Uh, lots of people give him great feedback on his new product, but he had one experience with an investor that didn't give him great feedback. Um, but the manner in which that feedback was delivered to James caused him to actually ruminate on it and document it and publish it to say, you know what, that's a really good way of telling people that they don't fancy your thing. Um, and one of the primary ways in which you, you do this is that you ask the question, are you ready to hear negative feedback? So are you ready to hear some tough news? Are you ready to hear something that you may not prefer uh, to want to hear? Um, and then your answer is going to be yes. Um, by saying yes, you've kind of agreed that you're mentally ready to receive that information. Um, and I just think, man, that's just great management, great communication. You know, we should elevate this at every negotiation scenario, uh, highest level of geopolitics, lowest level of you know family, friends level, no matter where it is, this will work. Um, are you ready to receive feedback that you don't, that, you know, that may be actually quite painful right and then that's going to prepare the person so they don't feel as if it's an attack wonderful feedback i'd recommend you read the post very short couple of bullet points i'm going to start adopting this behavior that uh, james has experienced i think it's a wonderful way to communicate feedback which i so far been reluctant to give because i didn't want to offend people uh, and I, I was i almost got to the point where i was fearful of giving feedback because i consistently had you know people feeling as if they were attacked actually no i was just me being very bad at giving bad feedback so i need to get better at all right give us one more jonathan before we get into this no if somebody says no i'm not ready to receive don't 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 deliver it just say that's okay let's talk about something else and you let me know when when you are ready um but i think most people will say they are because it's almost like a challenge as well it's like sure i'm tough enough to take this and then, okay, once you've set that back, then you've kind of given yourself like a mental buffer to receive that information. Um, and so long as it's not like an egregious attack on you, like a genuine attack on you, I think you'd, you'd actually deal with it quite well. Um, but I remember an old, old boss sort of said this, uh, this is an old lesson, but an old boss of mine said the same thing. He'd, he'd just always say this, do you want fluffy talk or do you want it straight between the eyes? Um, and it's similar, right? And everyone says straight between the eyes and they'll, then he'll bust out with it. Um, but because you've made the choice, it feels like you, there's agency, you've, you've controlled that experience to a large degree and you can take it. Great. This is great parenting skills. If you're having you're parenting a child, this is how you do it. Anyway, give us one I, more, mate. My, my, my two and a half year old, if she was ready for feedback, she would, she would ask <laughs> me for a cookie. So. <laughs> That's it. You gotta get be a little bit older for that, I guess. Yeah, get practicing a two-year-old though. I'm sure that, I'm sure should do should do okay. Okay. Just uh, yes, everything.
the third, the third, the third thing, um, the Riviera Partners Executive Compensation Report made me made me evaluate my own meaning of life, I guess. Um, but surprisingly flat, or perhaps not surprisingly, if we if we look at the way things are are going in uh, you know the corporate worlds uh, most of this year, maybe maybe not a surprise that most people did not get a salary increase that are wearing the boss pants. Yeah, it's a really interesting report. I forget who sent it to me, but it's from I believe some exec search firm um that and by the way i see some exec search people in the chat here this type of content is just fantastic content to push out so uh, uh david i think uh mpa worldwide here uh if you could ever pull together this type of stuff it would be definitely brain food worthy um but i think these guys were uh exec search for vc backed tech companies and they just published something to say look here's how salaries are going compensation equity etc Clearly, if you're working for any VC uh, back business, this is really interesting information and you should download that report. Okay, cool. Let's get on with this conversation, man. Let's talk about hiring in LATAM. I'm guessing you know nothing about this, Jonathan. Is that correct? Uh, that would be false. That would be <laughs> false. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you know about hiring in Latin now, America. We, we, um, we are helping a lot of companies to hire, I mean, Latin America continent, right? So, um, you know, but in places like uh, in Colombia and in Argentina and, and at Lundy, we actually have members of our team, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe even one of them is here. If you're here, give me a wave um, in Argentina. So, you know, we even have a team uh, that's part of Lundy that covers uh, Latin America that's based in in Argentina. So uh, very different markets, of course, just like Europe is not one country. Every country in Latin America is a different country. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that our, our experience has been very positive. Um, on the engineering side, we've seen that looks like a lot of American companies have driven up the cost of engineering type resources in Latin America. And it's been a challenge for us uh, when we hear from companies like I'm, I'm in Spain. And when we meet with companies in Spain that have this great idea to hire in um, Latin America, whatever that means, uh, because they think they're going to reduce costs, they're often pretty disappointed, you know, particularly when they're really niche roles, uh, that, that the cost is kind of on par. Uh, and that employer tax costs, if you're, you know, employing people um, as employees and using an EOR, right, in 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 Brazil, for example, can be really high. So we, have, as in all places, have a lot of scattered experiences all over the region. But I know that there are some 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 guests today that are really in in the trenches, uh, you know, doing this doing this every day, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing from them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few things we should learn. I mean, when we're doing the how to hire series, the ideal would be to narrow it down to even country, even city level, um, because there is such regional variance. I mean, you look at the United States, classic example. I can't say how to hire in the United States because, you know, what hiring in California is very different from hiring in, you know, Nebraska somewhere, right? So it's, it's a, it's, everything has difference and everything has nuance. Uh, but we're going to have to give Latin America kind of an overgeneralization in this case, simply because of, of time constraints, and what have you. So bear that in mind. So we're not going to make any 
you know, overly committed, definitive uh, uh, points, and we're probably going to end up veering towards, you know, things that might be stereotypical. Um, having said that, we also need to try and make some sort of generalizations so that if um, an, an employer or a recruiter doesn't have experience of hiring for anybody uh, in Latin America, how do you go about and do that? And what are the things that you can anticipate? So we're going to bring some guests on today, uh, right now, in fact, and we'll talk about it. And Aaron, I just see you in the chat here. So, hey, listen, if you're happy to come on, we'll definitely bring you on there. And you've always got some wonderful chat to, 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 uh, uh, to contribute. So I'd, I'd be interested to know how a non-native speaker, uh, let's say, interacts. For instance, language is one of the key issues for any type of international hiring. Um, you know, like, it, can an English language, English only person um, succeed in doing this? And if not, you know, um, what do you do? Uh, but let's bring on some of our guests here. We'll see where we're going. I, I can see Iska here. Let's bring Iska Gonzalez here on. Um, I'm going to bring on Juliana Park as well. Stephen, I'm going to bring you on in a bit, uh, in a moment, because I want to try and just uh, split this around a little bit. Um, and Carlos, I think Carlos is here as well. Let's bring on Juliana. Oh, there she is. How are you doing? Hey, hello. Very well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs> no, wonderful to see you. And thank you so much for being like such a hero, supporting everything on Brain Food. You know, I know I, I see Always. this. And, uh, Everywhere. You're, you're, you're amazing on that. Um, so why don't you quickly introduce yourself, uh, Iska? Who are you? What is you do? Sure, sure. I'm in, an international talent acquisition consultant. I started years ago, more than 15 years ago, as a trainee recruiting uh, in Mexico City. Um, so I've been recruiting for more than 15 years, most of the times for Latin America, reporting to corporate offices in the United States or in Europe. So most of my experience recruiting is in-house recruiting, but as, um, I also have experience as a freelance, as an RPO, managing agencies. So everything recruiting from Mexico to Brazil. Fantastic and wonderful to see you there. And there's Carlos. Carlos, how are you doing? Wonderful to see you. Um, uh, we are already on WhatsApp and I apologize to Carlos to say I, I am not already in Colombia, but I will be there shortly, my friend. Um, so... Carlos, can you hear me okay? He can't. That's fine. Um, let's go to Juliana first. Juliana, wonderful to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself, Juliana? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. My name is Juliana. I'm South Korean and I grew up in Brazil. And I started in the industry serving Korean global companies based in Brazil and also companies that were expanding, expanding operations in Latin America, especially in Brazil. So in the last year, I hired professional, most of them from the tech industry, not only in Brazil, but in other countries such as Chile, Argentina, and US. And I also hired country managers and for sales positions for those companies who were expanding operations for Brazil. So yeah, I also have Brazilian startups and small, small and medium enterprises as clients too. Fantastic. Wonderful to see you here, Juliana. And Carlos, I think we, I th don't think you heard us uh, earlier, but um, sorry, I'm not already there, but I will be in Bogota in about 12 hours, okay? Um, but uh, wonderful to see you, Carlos. Quickly introduce yourself for you, what it is you do? Oh, Carlos, I think you're muted, man. I can hear. 
the, vid the video is solid, but the audio is no bueno. It's probably the settings, the settings of your computer. You have to give access to crowd yes. to your microphone. Maybe refresh the browser, Carlos. But come, come back to us once you refresh, and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll hear your dulcet tones. Um, okay, let's go to you first, Iska. Um, when you're talking about hiring in Latin America, do you ever get pe like U.S. companies saying, "Oh, we're hiring suddenly in Chile or hiring in whatever"? Uh, like, what do they need to know in order to actually succeed as an employer of choice for uh, for new territories um, in Latin America? That you know that is obvious to you now, but may not be obvious to them. Yeah, I think. I will start honestly with the communication. I know it seems the most basic thing, but the the I would say the key here is that in the United States or even in Europe, you already have like a way to work. The job description is uh, written in a certain way. You have certain benefits, as Jonathan said, is completely different in Latin America. So something that I've seen a lot in companies is that they ask to their local HR recruiting team to start a search in a different country. And when they do, they don't know really what the benefits going to look like. They didn't really understand the structure and the scope of the role based in the region. Something that is happening a lot now in companies, not only manufacturing, but also like startups or um, uh, even like consuming goods companies is that they want to base in Latin America a position that reports to either Europe or United States and they have like a regional scope. When you have a scope like that, obviously the salary has to be higher, even for the region. And there's a lot of um, information sometimes inside of the companies that local compensation and benefits says that you need to have internal equity. And then all these things that are not happening in the back end are affecting recruiting because the recruiting teams or the agencies you reach out locally are going to start looking for candidates like this. And they are going to find your candidates. And the moment you already have them there, then you don't know how much are you going to pay. You are not prepared with the onboarding. And this could start from the beginning with good communication. So I think it's uh, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're hiring for an international company that has presence in Latin America, but it's a new position, for example, you definitely need to be in communication with human resources, recruitment, your legal department. You have to set clear expectations with the hiring manager as well and you have to start defining um, important things like interview dates and availability because candidates in latin america mainly the ones that speak english are going to be in more than one process and they would like to move fast because now it's like um, i was reading a um, report from gallup that says that 59 percent of employees in latin america are quiet quitting and 11 percent are loud quitting so there's a lot of people in Latin America interested to move. That's why the processes are moving faster. So there's so much that you have to take into consideration in terms of local practices, language, uh, and who are you going to work with. That's why, honestly, my best recommendation is communicate clearly and set clear expectations. Yeah, really good. Um, Iska, so you're saying basically don't assume that you can just turn the key and it happens. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's all kinds of local nuance involved and actually, um, on the language side, uh, 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 a fluent language, English language speaker in Latin America that also speaks native tongue is of a premium, um, value, 
um, because obviously they can interact with local um, economy, but also be connected to any kind of global sort of uh, uh, institution. It is because it depends on the industry. There might, and I was talking about this with Juliana. There's a huge difference, by the way, if you're going to recruit from Mexico to Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, etc., you have to separate in, in a very positive way Brazil because then it's even harder to find someone that speaks Portuguese and a very fluent English, even for technology companies. You can have amazing talent preparing every technology that you want, but they might not be very fluent in English. So that's one of the main things that happen in the other side, which is all Spanish-speaking countries. And then something that is happening as well is they want to find someone that speaks Portuguese in Mexico, in Chile, and it's not very common. You're not going to find people in Central America that speaks Portuguese. It's very similar, and we might be able to speak Portuñol, but we're not going to speak Spanish, English, and Portuguese. It's very complex. That's one of the main differences from Europe, for example. There you might find people with more languages. Here is honestly not that easy. And it goes okay. to premium, as you said. Yeah, and that's a really important point because what is the something like 450 million people in Latin America, but Brazil is a big chunk of that. It's the biggest country by population by far. Um, therefore, when you think, you know, if, if you, uh, I can imagine some US company uh, you know, with a vision to say, hey, we've got half a billion people we can recruit from. That's all well and, that's all well and good, but you know, let, let's break this down and you can see actually Brazil might have a big chunk of this and perhaps English language proficiency, if that's a requirement, is not as high as it might be, let's say, in Colombia or uh, Mexico uh, or uh, or Argentina, perhaps or yeah. Chile. Um, yeah, that, that's that's correct. And it's also like it's not just a matter of location, but the industry has a lot to do with this as well. Let's get back to the industry in a bit. But as we've talked about Brazil, let's bring in Juliana on this. Of course. Um, uh, Juliana, you live in Brazil, obviously, and you speak Brazilian. Um, uh, uh, sort of Portuguese Brazilian, should I say. Um, the, what is your feeling with regards to um, you know, working with companies that are looking particularly to hire uh, Brazilian staff? Um, what do you see as, a, as, a, as, a, as an interesting sort of thing from a recruitment perspective where you can say, okay, Here's something that actually companies that are hiring in Brazil need to know that perhaps they don't know uh, if they have never done it before. Yes, Brazil, although Brazil is the most, you know, biggest country in Latin America, Argentina has more English speakers. You know, most of tech company, I think, know this when come to Latin America looking for uh, tech professionals. So here in Brazil, we have this problem of uh, finding good good knowledge of English, but even if you find tech people that have these uh, English skills, they are already uh, working for a foreign company, you know? They are already having a remuneration in US dollars, so you need to offer more than is actually just here and his current remuneration and also for those that are just hiring for the first time in Brazil I really should give an advice for talking to local people to get to know because Brazilian law Brazilian labor law is too complex so you need to understand how does it work here so because you can just 
being a trouble in the future, and also about the financial taxes. That is a little bit complicated, and that's it. No, really interesting. Basically, English language speakers may already be um, uh, employed um, with a, a premium job. So the the mentality yeah. that you're going to come in and like you know, suddenly be able to elevate everyone's standard of living that's it may may have been the case twenty years or so ago, fifteen years or so ago. Not the case today um, because these people are well educated. They're obviously all connected and they can identify these opportunities very clearly. It's not like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a hidden story that, guess what, U.S. companies particularly interested in hiring in Latin America due to the time zone, due to the quality of the people. And now with the shift to remote, makes it a lot easier to do so. Um, and I think in, even in Portugal, which uh, in Europe has been like a very um, uh, high growth area for tech, um, uh, that's also been like particularly interested in hiring Brazilian um, engineers as well. Um, uh, and so it, to a large degree, if you like, the, the secret is out. You know, there's quality people in these countries um, and you need to come up with competitive <coughs> options. You can't just assume because you have this uh, sort of brand, um, it's going to be this type of pricing. Um, a very interesting point by Irina in the chat. I totally agree. Um, a lot of the culture and country info is simply not in a search engine. Um, and you need to interact with local people in order to do this. Um, and, and by the way, I think AI will also struggle with this because AI is obviously all on documented information, which is Googleable. But the, the real thing that happens is often not documented. Um, and it's like, it's basically the difference between learning how to speak a language via a classroom and then learning actually how people do use it in the street. And they're two different things, right? They're, 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 yeah, they're not, uh, I think everyone wouldn't understand that picture. Okay, cool. Um, talk to uh, Iska, you mentioned something about sectors. Um, uh, every sector is different. Well, we, uh, tell us a little bit more about this. What do you mean by, you know, sectoral differences uh, from an industry perspective? Can you mm -hmm. um, sort of share a little bit of your insight there? Yeah, sure. I think it has to do with, for example, Mexico, which is a big part of, of Latin America that concentrates a lot of talent. And there are so many companies that have headquarters or offices hiding from Mexico, also for different parts of Latin America, has a big industry like manufacturing, transformation, automotive, aerospace. Manufacturing is completely different how it works than, for example, technology, startups. Uh, online travel agencies, these type of companies that are more tech-based, might be a little bit more open and flexible. Manufacturing still being very traditional and conservative. That impacts, of course, the recruiting processes. Because, of course, I should say there's so many good things that you can find in Latin America. And you're going to find the amazing companies and HR areas that are organized, structural that have like best practices that are totally in compliance, but you are going to find practices in the, all these countries that we mentioned where people, uh, candidates are asked, for example, what's their age? Who do they live with? These type of things that compared to United States, Europe, or other places are almost unbelievable. This happens a lot in manufacturing, for example. The um, salary expectation that a quality engineer that speaks English and that perhaps already work in a different country is higher compared to someone that is not speaking English but has all the willing to be part of these type of companies. 
and it's not going to be the same if you work with a local agency recruiting than, as I mentioned, if you have your in-house recruiting team. So all these type of differences have a lot to do with the speed, cost, and quality that you're going to have in your recruiting processes. Today, the candidates have a lot of expectations when they hear that an international company is hiring. And the first one, I think someone mentioned it in the chat, is like Mexico, Colombia, and other countries are so focused on base salary after taxes. Because, and Juliana mentioned this, there's there's a huge um, chunk of your salary that goes into taxes that candidates think only salary, base salary after taxes. I don't care if you give me meal vouchers, medical insurance, because there's a huge also culture in terms of extra benefits that, as I said, startups or these technology companies might have for sure from other countries. They bring that into, into the game in Latin America. And for the people, honestly, it's not that important because they are so focused on the salary. So it, it has really, to do a lot with that. Really, really interesting point. Um, and I think a lot of people do think this way. It's like, the, what, is the, what is the net number? Um, uh, that, is, <laughs> um, that is important. Uh, and I can imagine a non, uh, sort of, let's say a foreign company not even thinking about this because they've just generated their number in terms of, oh, this is the salary we're paying. But guess what? That number is going to change based on the jurisdiction of the person that you're recruiting to because mm-hmm. um, they're under different tax regimes. So you need Actually, to understand. Brazil. Oh boy, in Brazil. Ooh. Is Brazilian taxation yeah. higher? Oh, yeah. oh, real big. Very, very high. I mean, is what, what is what is the difference between, let's say, Brazil, the taxation scheme in Brazil versus, let's say, Mexico or, or you know, Colombia? It's a lot closer to France. But Juliana, you're you're in Brazil, so tell us more. Well, it's there are a lot of, you know, kind of it's it's not easy to understand because sometimes it's unbelievable. Even though when you are living in Brazil, but we have some, you you have some tax first and the other tax above this tax. You know, it's a lot of tax. And if you're if you're going to pay from foreign country, you know, sometimes it's better you hire. Uh, I recruiting an HR firm here to to figure to 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 do to this you know the payment role for you because they know the the, the Brazilian law and well the taxes in Brazil it's very high because you have financial taxes and you know kind of a lot of taxes. Any yeah. Sorry, may I say something like in, in the other countries, it's like you have the, the structure is called like carga patronal, pretty similar. So it's what the, what the employer has to pay per person. And it has to do with um, like social security, because here in most of the countries, they do have access to social security paid by the company. So if you add to that the vacation days and any other type of benefit the company has, that's what sums up. Because what happens with the international companies is they think like, okay, I'm going to assign $3,000 for this person as a salary. But then you have to add the taxes that the company has to pay for that, for that plus the benefits. And any type of bonus, everything is going to taxes. So that's why it's an increased amount. And if you're a foreign company hiring in Brazil and you're using an employer of record, it's one of the few countries um, that you may encounter where 
the VAT is not uh, removed on a cross-border transaction. So like in Europe, you know, if I, I buy something from the UK and you ship it to me in Spain, like I, I don't pay. Um, if uh, you have this service of, I don't know, an IT service in another country, you usually don't pay the VAT uh, on that service in a cross-border transaction. Um, but there's VAT on the on the uh, like employer of record service uh, on the salary even some percent. So there there is just a lot of stuff. Basically, like whatever the person gets on their hands in our experience, and I mean we're not in the market, but just from afar, it's the the cost of the employer is usually double. Yes, that's it exactly, June. Yes. So this is very, very interesting. Um, and again, this is education for people who, uh, you know, have a, a broad treatment of Latin America's one unit. It's like you need to obviously understand the legal jurisdictions. And if you don't understand, then this is where you do need to have a, a, a company to help you resolve this. Um, I wonder whether there's a technology business that does this actually that, you know, some, something like a comply advantage where essentially, you know, um, it, it could keep you updated in terms of how laws change per country so that if you're going to do something in any place, it could provide information. Maybe that's a service that Lundy can one day. Uh, we have offer. the data. When, when, we, when we compare countries for, for a company that we're working with, um, we, we give the data not only on salaries, but also on employment regulations so that you can compare, you know, for example, that in a country like Argentina, people, depending on the role, want to be paid in dollars, which makes them a contractor versus, you know, if you're hiring in Brazil, you, you really need to want to hire in Brazil, like you're launching an office there or you you have something physically that you need to do uh, in, in Brazil is a really great reason to um, hire in Brazil. Otherwise, you know, employer tax costs are much lower in Chile. Um, so I, we, we help you to compare those things, but only in the context of like an engagement that we already have, still not publicly available on, uh, on our website. I did share a link though uh, to some insights about uh, labor or market regulations in Brazil. That is available on the Lundy site for every country we're in, so more than 70 countries. You can go and check what are the regulations. Okay, so yeah, like basically, it would be great for there to be one website that you could do the comparison and 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 what have you. Um, but uh, but yeah, who knows whether that service is available um or not, or, or someone's going to build it. Um, but really interesting. Let's talk about things like dollar payments. This is a mystery to a lot of people outside of different jurisdictions that you may actually be paid in a currency that is, you know, not the national currency. Um, how how common is that in Latin America? Is that something desirable? Um, and if so, how does it even work? Um, I mean, I think someone said, okay, if you're paid in dollars, it means that you have to be, you have to, the, the person needs to set up a company and they'll be receiving. Argentina, probably if you're getting paid. In yeah. Money. I mean, there obviously is huge inflation in Argentina, right? Um, so tell us a little bit more about this. Like, um, is it common for people in certain Latin American countries to be paid in us dollars aside from, uh, their national currency? Yes. No. Honestly, I don't see it. I think it's more local currency. Only, for example, yeah, Argentina is one of the cases because of their current situation with inflation. There's a lot of people that it's joining technology companies or remote roles, like developers, these type of even uh, digital assistants or virtual assistants, they can charge in dollars and they are using more like platforms to pay. But if you are like a 
company that is opening uh, businesses there, not necessarily offices, then you're going to pay in Argentinian pesos. And it's a huge trouble, I will say, because you have to be so aware of the changes due to inflation is part of what candidates or employees are expecting every certain amount of time. So that's something that you have to be very aware of all the time. In the other countries, no, you have like, you can have a legal entity, you can have a company, an outsourced company that helps you with the payments, but it's going to be in local currency because then the employee will have to do their taxes and then it's like not very common. It might be for like technical roles, very, very technology oriented roles, but most of the companies will have a local currency. Very, very interesting. And the inflation adjustment, I think, is actually super interesting. Um, so what you're saying there is because basically, specifically to Argentina, let's say a candidate is not only looking for a salary, but they're looking for the employer's ability to adjust salary according to inflation um, based on the rapid escalation of the price of the uh, or, the, or the value of the Argentinian peso. Um, so. Sorry, I was going to say it's actually something that human resources in Argentina, when they work with other countries for the same company, they're like, if you're going to look for someone here, you need to know that it's going to change your budget every certain amount of months. So, and the candidates are giving you their, the candidates will say today, this is my salary in Argentinian pesos. In six months, I'm going to have an increase. So today I'm considering that increased salary for you to hire me. And that's why it takes so long to hire in Argentina. And like like four different exchange rates. There, there's the official yep. bank rate that nobody can get for changing money. And and then there's like the Western Union rate. I don't know. I, I did see that launch <laughs> a member of our team. From and the street team. rate. Uh, should have some more insight on all those different exchange rates. But uh, but I mean, it's it's just it's it's a wild situation down there. Do you know what? That's really interesting because we actually started to see uh, people in North America start arguing for inflation adjustment. Um, uh, sort of, um, uh, we started um, sort of. Uh, Carlos, thanks. I can. I, we, I think we can hear you, um, but I've muted you because I thought it was in the background. Um, but anyway, I'll bring you back. Um, so basically, I remembered during the. Uh, uh, there was software engineers in Silicon Valley who were previously compensated with equity grants based on stock prices for their companies. And they were trying to renegotiate, having accepted what they thought was this number, but with stock prices crashing, they said, you know what, actually, this is far less than what I anticipated. And they started to negotiate for this. So we might start seeing more. Um, uh, not variable, but elastic type of compensation based on what the, the, the real value is because it's a moving target all the time. So uh, very interesting it was also. Um, okay, we have to bring a Carlos in who's been wrestling with the technology, but he is back with this. Um, Carlos, um, I think it's a super loud mic, by the way. But, um, Did you hear me well or not? Oh, yeah, we now can, it works. We can okay. hear you well, too much. You're too loud, bro. Can you turn it down okay. just a do it. Okay, um, Carlos, wonderful to see you. Um, I can maybe you would do some intros. Can you intro yourself real quick? Who are you? What it is you do? Okay, we are Elisha. We are 23 years uh, doing recruiting, and mainly the first 10 years was only, let's say, uh, sending Latin Americans for Middle East uh, oil and gas energy companies. So we recruit from the entire region, 
Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, uh, for major energy companies in that region. That's our brief summary, what we do. So, yeah, thank you for the invitation. No, and so, so Carlos, having heard some of the stuff that uh, Juliana and Isco shared, um, uh, and that possibly working with slightly different sectors also, so you're working more on the energy sector and people of this type. Um, what would you say is, is particularly like unique about hiring uh, people in oil and gas and people in, the, in, in, in that sector compared to, let's say, tech and IT? Well, basically, the uh, engineers uh, are looking for new technologies or co continue their careers in, in companies in Middle East. Middle East has the technologies, let's say Aramco, one of the major energy companies, so are facing different and interesting challenge that the Latin Americans are willing to, to get. So they are interested in hiring these kind of companies. Other is unconventional. Unconventional in Argentina, it's, I mean, Argentina is the second largest in unconventionals worldwide, but with more than 500 wells. So Saudi Arabia, when they start recruiting, uh, they were focused on, on Argentinians, pretty, pretty focused because of the experience and they don't have worldwide other countries with that experience. And as Juliana and my colleagues share, I mean, the, um, the value for taxes and for make uh, income in a, a hard currency, it's really attractive for them, let's say. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, and by the yeah. way, Aaron, Aaron in the chat has just shared a really interesting uh, custom search engine uh, for LinkedIn, uh, which essentially can, you can search by country codes, which is a classic way to try and identify particular people living in certain countries based on, you know, what uh, sort of country code they're using. So potentially useful for you to do that as well. Um, folks, we, we always do this in the middle of every show. So now we're going to do it also. Um, uh, we want to make sure that uh, Bring Food Live is a con uh, conversation starter, not a conversation ending type of show. Um, but we do have to come off air in about uh, 20 minutes or so, so the conversation will cease as far as we're concerned here. But let's make sure we continue the chat um, on your own case. Uh, and you can do that best by obviously connecting with everyone who is uh, involved in the conversation today. Um, so why don't we take a moment grab your LinkedIn URL and share it in the chat stream if you're watching this in Crowdcast and then make sure you connect with everyone else within the same. Um, and if you're watching this on LinkedIn, uh, wherever you are, uh, share your LinkedIn into the comment thread and then connect with everyone who's done the same. Worst case scenario, everyone walks away with 20, 30, 40 connections that care about hiring in LATAM and who knows, probably know something about it, um, in which case, um, you're going to be in good shape to uh, uh, to uh, uh, continue to build your knowledge on this. Okay, um, before we bring Stephen on, um, uh, well, let's go a quick round to, to the to the people who are currently on panel. Um, if you were to speak to a an English guy or a American person or you know a, a German individual that was recruiting into Latin America, what's one piece of advice you'd give that person? for them to succeed uh, aside from the stuff we've talked about today is there like one thing you can say you know what got to make sure this is correct whether it's a legal thing a cultural thing or whatever it might be technology thing um what what do you reckon that would be um 
Let's go with you, Iska, firstly. Uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it has to do with culture, definitely. Don't expect that the candidates already know how to talk to you because in Latin America, and I think this goes from Mexico to Brazil, people is very warm. Sometimes people is uh, kind of afraid to interact. Even when they speak English, they are afraid or nervous to talk with someone from a different country. And the technology most of the times can fail. Sometimes internet is not the best. So try to recognize if you have any type of bias in terms of technology, culture, how people say hello, how they introduce themselves. Be aware that communication is more important than and if people can express what you need to hear and you can identify that they can do the job is more important than if they say the right word or if there's a mistake, a typo in the resume, because that happens sometimes. You, you see those differences and then it starts to be biased your decision. So try to be as open as you can and focus on the skills and experience of the candidates from the resume to the interview. Yeah, that's really interesting and really good as well. I think we need to take into account sort of the uh, this sense, like a, a lot of us have ended up using English as the default language, but it's not the default language in Latin America. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore, um, you cannot expect people to be as fluent or as confident or as fluent um, as you might expect. Interesting comment in the chat about the use of AI and translation tech and what have you. Is that going to like ameliorate this or change it in some way? Probably, I think, in some some way, but we don't know where that's going to go. So, um, so yeah, that's a really good tip, Iska. Uh, uh, How about you, Juliana? Any thoughts that you'd like to share for a newbie, let's say, German recruiter needs to, you know, hire someone in Chile? Uh, what advice would you give that person? Well, I think Iska just said uh, about being very clear about what the employer can offer, like being very transparent, I think is important. And, well, although a lot of, you know, kind of um, challenge, people that live in emerging countries used to be more resilient. So that's a good point. For Brazilians, and I always uh, hear good feedbacks from the employers about the Brazilians' uh, professionals, and yes, they they work very hard when they are qualified enough to be hired. You know, and yes, I have already said about the Brazilian law, so it's very important to get to know better because it's a it's very complex here in brazil and you know try to do uh, things according to the brazilian law too That's yeah um, we, we probably don't have time to go exactly into the cultural nuances as well but there's also various ways to behave in terms of your type of informal type of formality informality the the, the sort of uh, uh the, the way in which you can become familiar with someone is different in every culture so all of those things will probably uh, um something we'll have to look at maybe next year where we try and do a, a per country type of uh, type of analysis that would be an interesting one carlos let's uh, leave it to you uh, steve i'm gonna bring you in a sec by the way um carlos um your thoughts, your advice, if you're hiring a recruiter for your team that was actually, you know, someone based in France, but they were recruiting in Colombia, like what do they need to know in order to be an effective recruiter for you? Uh, well, I, I think so. Uh, other, other things is the um, stability of the countries. Sometimes, for example, 
the industry uh, ever achieved. Uh, in Latin America, it's very common that change the the president every four years or whatever. So depending if you know the market, and for example, in Colombia right now, we have a president that is making a, a lot of noise in the industry. So uh, people willing to leave just the company. And that's it's a very Latin American thing. And one, one great thing that I will recommend him is just talk about security. Uh, our streets uh, is, uh, I mean, let's say Latin America has a, like kind of pickpocket, something that is very difficult to transmit, but uh, the people like, and if you live in Spain or if you live in Europe or if you are hiring for someone, uh, the security is an issue that, uh, I mean, that they, if you express in your interview, for example, Middle East is very safe. I mean, yeah, it's really safe. Uh, the people is like, really appreciate that kind of thing. So you have the soft skills, the hard skills, the technical people are prepared. If you do a good pre-screening, you find the English speaking people, really. Uh, so you need to focus more in that part of the attractiveness and say, hey guy, uh, this country is, in, in Europe, nothing happened. I mean, in Europe, everything is almost the same, you know, but here, no. Here, the companies change due to uh, political situation. So it's very interesting for all of you to be, uh, if you are focusing in Latin America, to understand what's going on in the political. Very important point. And, and actually, you, you make the, the issue about political stability, but in Europe and elsewhere, it seems that political instability is starting to come in in in, in greater sort of sense. So, so perhaps we will have to learn a little bit more from Latin American guys, Latin American folks, in terms of okay, how do you handle it when the political environment can rapidly change? Um, uh, uh, what impact? does that have with the employer branding, recruitment, talent traction, and so on. So uh, very interesting. Folks, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm going to bring Steve on now because he's coming in from, I believe, North America, and he does recruit from, from LATAM. So he's going to give us a different perspective. So let's have a look for one of those guys. Uh, we're going to say goodbye here to Iska, Juliana, and Carlos. Uh, so thank you for joining us. You. We'll definitely try and do this again. Um, uh, wonderful to see you. Um, and thanks for your insight and input. It's been really, really interesting. Um, Carlos, I'll see you soon, of course. I'll be flying. Yes, Where are you here? Yeah, yeah. Um, next okay. time you... Oh, we have, we've lost him. Um, next time. But next time, next time. Um, okay, well, let's get Steve on because he's been very patient. Um, and we'll just have a... I wanted to just separate just a little bit because getting four people on screen, difficult because you can't get everyone talking um and uh and, and and contribute in this way so let's have a look um from steve's perspective i understand steve is a person that recruits internationally actually steve will tell us himself uh, there he is steve um wonderful to see you and uh and great, great and great hair by the way um i need to figure out what product you're using for that um no um uh, steve can you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do Absolutely. So Steve Poeska, um, I've been in the global talent space for uh, most of my career. Uh, currently, I'm uh, leading a global talent mission for Lionbridge Games, 
which is a, a video game company that predominantly does uh, functional testing and localization, translation, globalization uh, for large scale uh, video game um, publishers and developers. Fantastic. And I've just shared Steve's LinkedIn into the chat stream there. So make sure you check him out and connect also. Um, Steve, um, uh, having heard all of the, the the contributions, which is only just a snippet, of course, we've only had 30 minutes of chat. Uh, but did any yes. of that resonate with you when, you know, when you're, you're looking at the sort of recruitment work that you've been doing um, uh, with Lionbridge? Oh, absolutely. 100%. So, so Lionbridge Games has been recruiting in Mexico for, I would say, maybe the last six months or so. So it's, it's been a fairly new endeavor for us. You know, we recently opened up a studio there. And so a lot of what we've been trying to do is uh, hire uh, entry level workers predominantly, because that's a lot of our workforce. And then, you know, kind of leaders to be managing those folks that are doing testing for some of our clients, uh, both in the language on the, uh, on the localization side, as well as the functional side. So what we have been seeing is there have been um, things that were understood about uh, the culture of Mexico, which is predominantly where we're hiring for. And then we also do some hiring in Costa Rica, too. Um, but uh, trying to understand what it was that the, the, the labor market, uh, what shape it took um, in Mexico. I think there were some assumptions that were made up front and we kind of had to pressure test some of those assumptions as we were starting to hire in that space. Um, for the most part, we haven't had any issues, you know, hiring necessarily on the uh, the entry level space, you know, because there's a lot of attention and interest and energy around coming to work in the video game business. So that tends to trade really high um, for us. But then as we start to get up into into higher levels of specialization, um, getting into leadership spaces, you, you know, we had to change things up a little bit in order to find you know the right sorts of candidates, and it also did invite in us a little bit of flexibility um, with our desired and required qualifications. And then also as a result of that, you know, cascading effects in the talent space is thinking through a much more robust and thoughtful onboarding experience to help kind of get people that were approximately 75 to 80% of the way there, and then bridging that gap with a robust onboarding approach, which um, I don't think we've necessarily talked about too much in this, in this call today here, but I found to be tremendously impactful uh, as we're going into a market that Certainly, Mexico isn't an emerging market in the global sense necessarily, right? It's been it's been hopping for a while, but in the video game sense, it's pretty early. So because of that, we, we've we've planted the flag early, and and as a result, we've had to think hard about how are we bringing in high quality, high potential talent and focusing on that, and then growing them from there. So that's been a lot of the journey. And beyond that, as you know, as Iska was saying quite extensively about the culture piece. There's a lot to be said there about trying to understand the culture, what motivates and and how do we take the, let's just say the United States mindset and and try and translate that into a value proposition um, for the for the Mexican labor market. It's been an interesting journey. No, very, very interesting. And, and actually, I remember a conversation that Irina and I had. Uh, Irina, of course, come from uh eastern europe back in the day i really hope you don't mind me saying she she she's she's a veteran of the industry of course and you know she's experienced um uh, a different economic environment um and it was very interesting when people looked at you know what the demands were and unsurprisingly if you're coming from a developing country or, or an economy that isn't sort of uh, particularly materially well off then of course mm -hmm. salary and compensation is going to be the number one factor in most mm -hmm. of the cases um, yes. And only 
where in countries where you almost guaranteed an amazing salary do other things start becoming more relevant for you and you start saying yeah we're we care about this thing or we care about values here we care about this that and the other uh, but actually um you go the, the more poor you get in different countries the less those things are important because ultimately it's about translating their, their effort into material return uh, to help yes. them and their families and that's something we shouldn't forget Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, one of the things that we've noticed very much so, you know, I think nearshore was something that was talked in the chat here a, a little bit. The idea of being able to, you know, hung as you were saying about um, the time zones being a big benefit when it comes to Mexico or a lot of Latin America um, for, for United States based companies is that in emerging markets, you know, because I've, I've hired globally for many years, is that at the entry level, the, the compensation is less well understood for people that are just getting into the workforce. And then as you get up into higher levels of specialization, those people tend to better understand their value in the marketplace on a global scale. And as a result, where in you know companies where it's not necessarily as much of a, uh, an emerging market, the compensation tends to be more of a linear increase that we're, we're used to in, in most markets. But in those kinds of markets, it's kind of this geometric curve <laughs> or even an ex exponential geometric curve where the people that are paid, paid at an entry level tend to be here. And there's this sharp increase because if you really have that specialization, then you probably worked for global companies before. So you better understand what your value is and you know, on the global market, and they tend to be far more competitive. And so it's, it's been an interesting experience that, that Mexico has very much followed that tack, that where we perceive that, you know, there should be this sort of linear curve of, you know, a tester to a senior tester to a test lead and so forth. It's, it's been more like this, you know, where it's, it's this really serious, uh, steep uh, curve. It's, it's been very interesting as an experience for sure. That's fantastic. I love the visualization there, Steve. And, and I get it as well. Like... <laughs> As you as you're a young person coming in, like you're everyone's ignorant of their market value, but that ignorance right. is shrinking with the connections we have these days and the availability oh, of yeah. information. We're going to see salary transparency starting to emerge, so we're becoming even more aware as to what market value is. Um, oh, yeah. So, so the idea we can get away with just hiring someone permanently at a cheaper rate that's receding. As we're starting to see, okay, maybe you get them at the very early part of their career, first job second job oh, yeah. by third job they're going to be like as competitive as anyone else well and that's where that onboarding comes in right is that you have to have a plan to like bridge some kind of skill gap by taking chances on people that aren't necessarily there but maybe they have the hunger or the passion which is a lot harder to detect in a straight recruiting process right especially if you use technology in order to assess skills or you're mostly just looking for keywords and resumes that you're going to miss that passion where you say, yeah, you know what? They don't totally know how to do this job, but we've got a fairly robust training and onboarding approach. So we could bridge that gap. So we might be able to pay a little bit less for somebody and get like, and maximize value out of them by actually, you know, spending a little bit of money and time to do some upskilling or new skilling, get them there. And then boom, they're right there. Right. So I would say that in order to keep being competitive in the space, you know, following us like what we're trying to do is you really have to come up with that that good onboarding approach so that you can start getting creative with who you're hiring or else if you're just trying to straight hire your way out of workforce problems the well is going to dry up eventually especially in latin america yeah very good um talk to us a little bit about remote uh, and remote assessment steve um how, how did you handle that i mean in terms of uh latin uh, mexican candidates let's say particularly mexico is i think that's where your the predominant experience is 
Yeah. Did, did the local labor market there like embrace being assessed remotely or did they want to kind of have the in-person experience or did you not discern any trend that was noticeable there? We didn't even jump. We didn't even really do the in-person thing. We, we started with remote. I, the one recruiter that we had originally that was hiring for Mexico is based in Boston. Actually, we, we didn't actually bring in um, a, a, a recruiter that's local to Mexico until very recently. Um, and we've used technology thus far in order to pre-vet all of our candidates. The expectation is that they had to you know, have an English proficiency. So being able to engage with the recruiter shouldn't have been a challenge. You know, so it's it's it hasn't really been that much of an issue, frankly. I mean, our pipeline, it, you know, has been fairly strong. You know, especially for our entry level roles, people have been open to the idea of presenting themselves because um, we're, we're using asynchronous interviewing in order to, to kind of pre-vet candidates before we engage with them on the recruiter side, and the hiring manager side. Really hasn't been that much of an issue, frankly. Um, I would say that sourcing, you know, has been interesting for, you know, some of the higher level roles, kind of like as we've talked about previously. Um, but I don't think anybody's necessarily balked at the idea of um, not having an in-person um, interviewing experience, um, mostly because, again, we try to have a, a fairly robust onboarding experience that by the time that, you know, the offer letter or contract is signed, that we're, we have people in place that are helping them to get to day one. And then once they get to day one, you know, there's there's trainers and onboarders that are picking it up from there. So we're trying to be flexible around that because our workers in Mexico have to be on site due to IP you know, reasons. So, yeah, remote hiring, but for on-site roles, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been too much of a challenge. Great stuff, um, Steve. This is a fa you're only six months into the Mexico experience. Um, the um, like, how long do you think you're going to continue with this? Have you learned enough lessons to say, right, we're committing to this because it really works? Um, or are there any other ter and or are there any other locations or territories within Latin America that you're looking at and saying? You know what? Maybe this is another on an underexplored area for us uh, in the in Lambridge. I think it depends. I think that we we have invested in the idea that Mexico is going to be a large player for us in North America. Uh, so right now we've got Mexico City going, and then we also have Boise, Idaho. That's one of our major hubs, and then we also have another uh, great studio in Montreal. So we we we've kind of hit every, every single major country. You know in you know, that's around uh, the United States, right? So uh, the idea that we would go further than that and migrate, you know, even more south, you know, perhaps continuing to build up uh, Costa Rica even further than we have been are question marks for us, right? Um, I think that our hope and our goal is to see as much as we possibly can about what, what Mexico labor market can offer us. Um, and I think that it's going to be a mainstay for us going forward. And that's that's our hope and goal. Um, but if we start to see that there's, you know, translatable value in other countries, you know, certainly between Mexico and Costa Rica, right, that we can kind of bridge some gaps, uh, there's no reason we wouldn't. Um, Lionbridge, uh, generally speaking, so not Lionbridge Games, but the broader of Lionbridge also has an outfit in uh, Sao Paulo. So, you know, we already have a foothold in Brazil to a certain extent. So the idea of being able to expand there isn't ever necessarily off the books. It's just I think Mexico right now is yielding great results for us and we'll keep pursuing until the very end you know especially for those portuguese speakers right? i i know that steve you 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 had a challenge that i think yeah. you solved eventually uh, to find portuguese speaking employees in in mexico yes yeah so one of the 
major service delivery offerings that Lionbridge provides, right, is, is localization and globalization and translation, right, for video games. And um, one of the pieces of that is being able to do QA on the localization that we provide as a service, right? So um, one of the goals that we certainly have in the, the Mexican market is to understand it being a megalopolis as it is, you know, what is the, the, the diversity of, of workers that exist in Mexico City that could work on site that have, you know, native level proficiency of languages that are in Latin America so that we could utilize Mexico as a base of operations. It's an open question. We're still trying to sort it out. Like I said, it's only been six months, but we are seeing, you know, a, a fairly diverse um, pipeline that's that's coming our way. So it, we have hope, but you, you never know if we saw a sudden rush and then it's going to taper off or it's quiet and it's only going to get bigger. You really don't know sometimes, right? I think technology and benchmarking exists to help give some hints, but you never know. The final question for you, um, if you could teleport back in time six months um, and give yourself some advice um, that you now know, having gone through the, the six month period, uh, what's one bit of uh, uh, advice uh, that would have saved uh, that other Steve a bit of time and a bit of pain? I would have looked for leaders first. Frankly, I would have looked for higher specialization um, workers and leaders first and had and, and, and focused as we were opening up the studio, and then I think we probably would have um, pursued our entry level workers uh, after we had secured more more leaders. You know that that we had sort of prepared and set the culture before we had started to proceed in bringing the greater workforce forward. Um, but you know, lesson learned, hindsight twenty twenty, etc. You know, I, we, we've managed to sort it out. But if if I had gotten to go back in time, I think I probably would have done that first. <laughs> that's it the the mythical time machine steve it's been wonderful getting your input on this it's always interesting speaking to in, individuals who are in the front line and actually doing the work so great that you could join us for this uh, conversation um uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak again man absolutely thanks for having me i appreciate it thanks steve great what a what an interesting experience interesting guy we have to come to an end to the show by the way folks because we're over a time as a thank you everyone for joining us i hope you've enjoyed this series um i do want to for 2024 i do want to do the how to hire series every week i want to hit 52 countries um because i think there's lots of interesting things and nuances and every different country is different i'm going to try and do this it's probably going to end up being a midweek show because i don't want it being a dominant thing on the Fridays, so we've got other things to talk about, but I'm thinking maybe we do a Wednesday show where we do a how to hire in country X. Um, what are your thoughts on that, folks? Would that be interesting? Let me know in the comments. Um, okay, Jonathan, listen, I gotta let you go. Thanks for jumping in, being awesome, uh, sort of co host. Um, uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely look, uh, like to see you again. Uh, we need to catch up as well. We need to do the Mena sort of show also. Let's not forget about that. So uh, we still have that on, on cooking. Um, so we'll do that as soon as we can. Uh, but yeah, great to see you, man. And where are you, by the way? You're in Spain these days, aren't you? I, I um, am. I am. I'm in, I'm in Marbella. Marbella, amazing. Okay, great. Um, well, listen, uh, we'll catch up soon and we'll, uh, we'll take it uh, on from there, okay? Um, thank you. Great. That's it, folks. I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll speak to you next time. No Brain Food Live this Friday. Um, we're actually going to be, I think, next Thursday. Um, uh, next Thursday is going to be uh, State of the Recruiter Job Market, I think. So follow the channel if you like this uh, conversation. Um, and uh, we'll see you uh, very shortly. Have a good weekend, everyone.